welcome to Perfecting the Practice, the podcast for behavioral health providers and administrators on how practice management makes perfect. This podcast is brought to you by Therapy Brands, a collection of the best of the best behavioral health practice management, telehealth, and data collection tools. Our team is here to help you expand the reach and impact of your practice. My name is Sage, and I'm a member of the Therapy Brands team. I have a background in mental health administration, having previously worked as a practice manager and insurance biller before joining Therapy Brands. I've seen firsthand the ways in which the right techniques and tools can make all the difference when it comes to successfully running a practice. From getting clients in the door to getting paid for your services, there are so many moving parts to keeping a therapy practice in good health. In today's episode, we'll be talking about some life hacks for running a private practice. Private practice management can be a tricky business. What with scheduling, marketing, billing, general administrative upkeep, and healthcare delivery, sometimes it can feel like there just aren't enough hours in the day. Luckily, there are tricks and tools in place to get your time back. Today, we're joined by industry expert Ed Brzezinski to discuss billing services, online practice management systems, administrative assistance, and other options that are available to keep your practice running smoothly. My name is Ed Brzezinski, and I am currently the general manager for the Presentive EHR practice management system at Therapy Brands. Formerly, I actually did run a large behavioral health practice and a large primary care group was uh, active in that end of things for about 15 years and was a certified medical practice executive through the American College of Medical Practice Executives. Wow. So then you have a lot of insight into this. How would you say technology plays a role in saving time for people who are running private practices? Technology is huge. During from when I first started running practices back in the 90s to kind of when I left that world to come over to the vendor side of things in 2010, you know, there was enormous change in terms of the technologies that were available. Back when I started, there was practice management systems, but EHRs really didn't exist at that point. So, you know, I've seen tremendous technological breakthroughs. Early on, we didn't have all of the um, automated electronic transactions, i.e. like uh, eligibility, you know, and fully electronic claim submission and remittance advices and all that sort of stuff. So the progression of technology on the administrative side of healthcare has been, you know, nothing short of amazing over the last 25 years. As someone who's gotten to see the adoption of EHRs and the inclusion of more technology in the world of healthcare admin, what would you say was the early things that people were most resistant to when this first came on the scene? Practice management's been around computerized for quite some time. You know, it was around for decades before EHRs came on and was kind of accepted for appointment scheduling and billing and those sort of things. Back in the early days, and I think practice I was running when we went live on an EHR, I think the adoption rate of EHRs at that point in time was single digits under 10%. So we were really kind of out there on the bleeding edge of EHR adoption. And through those early days, a lot of the complaints and that sort of thing that you heard from providers was about slowing them down. 
too many clicks, you know, impacting the number of patients that they could see, especially at that point, that was a primary care practice. So the throughput in terms of number of patients, you know, in a day was pretty high. And so anything that was slowing down, you know, the number of patients that could be seen was obviously not a good thing. and tricks have you seen in your time in this world that you think have the most impact on time saving in the day-to-day life of a practice manager? Obviously, the evolution of technology has been huge. One of the things from the point of a practice manager or administrator that's enormous now is the great selection of analytics products that are available. I can remember spending hours and hours every month pulling reports out of the PM system or EHR and then putting information into Excel and trying to manually create charts and analysis of financial data and clinical outcomes data, all that sort of thing. And so the amount of time that was spent on that was just huge. And now there's so many good analytics products. You know, we just launched, in fact, our analytics product for Procentive last month that kind of automates that process where you you can just go to a dashboard and look at all the, you know, set up dashboards with all your KPIs and just have essentially instantaneous access to information that previously would have taken you hours and hours to create. You know, some people have not latched into buying these analytics products, but, you know, from the perspective of being able to properly manage your practice, they're worth their weight in gold. They're worth every penny that you spend on them because in healthcare today, data is power. And the payers have had the data for decades. And catching up on the provider side of things and having equivalent data so that you can make intelligent decisions about how you're running your practice is absolutely critical. Absolutely. You know, and I'm thinking too about there's the large-scale organizations that really benefit from these kind of streamlining processes, like having analytics at your fingertips. But there's also to think about the people who are solo provider practices that are just one person sitting behind a desk trying to get their administration done for their own practice, potentially without any staff. What tips and tricks would you have for them? There obviously is a difference, but I'll have this to go back, though, to the fact that because you're time challenged, having the ability to have that kind of good information, analytics information is even more critical. While the cumulative bang for the buck may be larger as a practice gets larger, the need to have that data to know what payers are paying you, how much, things like no-show rates, where more demand is for appointments, all those kind of things are absolutely critical into how you run your practice, whether you're a solo provider or a 200 provider practice. The value of that information doesn't change. It's just as important. Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head about timing, because whether it's a large scale practice that's working with a bunch of people's schedules, administrators, providers, and everybody in between, or it's one person who's perpetually strapped for time because they're wearing all of the hats of their organization. Either way, the more time saving tools you have in your belt, the better. 
What advice would you give someone who's new to running a private practice, either because they're a solo provider who's going at it alone for the first time or because they've just come into a role in a larger organization? One of the key things to really learn is to join an organization. You know, I belonged for a couple of decades to MGMA, Medical Group Management Association. There are also trade organizations like that in some of the medical specialties and in other specialties as well. Belonging to an organization like that, going to annual conventions or state, a lot of the organizations will have state level organizations where you can get involved and be in online groups, getting opportunities to meet more experienced managers and administrators and picking people's brains and learning from them is absolutely crucial to kind of developing your knowledge base and learning more things. You know, then when you've got a problem, if you once you develop a good network of uh, peers, you don't have to feel like you're reinventing the wheel every time you're faced with a new problem. You can put it out there and get ideas and constructive criticisms from folks about how to tackle that problem. That's such a good point. You know, in the interviews that we've been doing over the course of this season, something that's come up time and time again is the advice to ask questions whenever and wherever possible. Ask it to your EHR platform, ask it to your peers in your community, and ask even your patients questions if you need to. You know, there's no harm in asking. And I think that when you have a community or organizations that are all like-minded, all doing similar things, all working in the world of healthcare admin, then you have this like wealth of knowledge to tap into to ask those questions too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you have support. Most good practice management EHR systems have user group communities, you know, and you can network and ask questions there. I mean, there's lots of different avenues that you can take to get advice and to learn as you go. And, you know, there is no substitute for experience. That's how you really learn it. I don't care if you've got a master's in healthcare administration, that knowledge that you get there in school kind of is giving you a base and a foundation, but you truly learn how to manage a practice by doing it. And so, you know, having that network of folks that can help to bring you along absolutely can help accelerate that learning curve. Agreed. And I think that that's a relief to a lot of people probably listening to this who don't have masters in healthcare administration or they got their degrees in psychology and psychiatry and have potentially spent years and years learning their trade, but now are faced with the business aspect of running a practice. And the truth is you learn on the job, you learn by doing it. And it's okay if you don't have a degree in medical billing or any of those things. But the other good news is that there are so many products out there to fill your knowledge gaps so that there are things that if you really don't know how to do it and you don't want to spend the time learning how to do it, there's also outsourced options that you have at your fingertips. There's tons of good educational materials out there. There are private organizations that do seminars and sorts of things like that. Most of the trade groups also have lots of uh, learning curriculum available. There are probably as many or more people out there actually running groups that don't have uh, healthcare administration degrees. Uh, I had a business degree, but people with all sorts of different backgrounds out there running practices because you truly pick up all of the knowledge you need and learn how to do it kind of on the job. So uh, yeah, that's absolutely not a prerequisite to be successful. 
I know that you said you didn't have anything that necessarily came to mind about surprising you in your work in practice management, but maybe just stories or things you've learned along the way in your long time of working both in the practice management space and then in the software space for practice management. You know, again, I've loved technology. That's why I've wound up here on the vet technology vendor side of the world because I always embraced it and always looked... I've seen, especially smaller practices, plenty of them stay away from the technology because they owe it's money, you know, spending money. And every time I implement a technology, as long as you choose your technology well and you implement it well, it will save you money. I've never had a technology that wound up with a net cost in terms of being able to save on labor. It's always faster and more accurate if you have good, well-implemented technology than trying to throw bodies at that problem. And there's some things that you simply can't do anymore the old-fashioned way. They're just not even possible. So, you know, trying to automate and do use as much technology as you can is great. I guess one of the surprise things, in addition to the education, the big thing of networking and, you know, meeting peers and going to some meetings and things like that is that uh, it really gives you an opportunity to uh, find people that are going through the same challenges and everyday trials and tribulations that you are. And um, that part is kind of uh, mentally uplifting. You know, running a large organization, they're really, you know, when you're at the top there, there's, it's kind of, you know, the old adage about it being lonely at the top. There's nobody to really talk to. And going to an MGMA conference and networking with peers that were running, you know, life-size practices and all like that was uh, kind of a mental recharge find that you're not alone, that there's everyone else out there going through the same kinds of challenges that you are and uh, kind of gives you a, more than a little bit of a boost to uh, continue uh, plugging away at it. I agree completely. And you mentioned not reinventing the wheel. I think that's so important because there are so many people who have already encountered everything that you're going to encounter as a practice manager who can tell you how they did it, you know, or even if you're in the world of billing and you really are running up against a problem, there are people out there who have run up against that same problem and have a direct line that they've been keeping in their back pocket that they can pass on to you so that you have a human to talk to on the other end of a phone tree. That kind of knowledge is so invaluable. I think you're so right about that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of times in solving problems like that, it can be far more valuable than you know formal courses or books or things like that because right. it's practical-based knowledge that helps address the specific issue that you're faced with. And most practice management platforms, a lot of the ones within therapy brands, if not all of them, offer webinars and courses within the programs that will teach you not only about the software itself, but also how to use it within your day-to-day practice. And then things even outside of the software that we just know are relevant to the lives of the administrators we're providing services for. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people get busy and sometimes you say, oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. But uh, those are the kind of things you absolutely want to make sure you make time for in your schedule because you might pick up some tips in a webinar that would literally over the course of the next year save you, you know, many, many, many hours. And so, you know, when you invest an hour in a webinar that over the course of that next year saves you 40 hours of time, that's time well spent. 
And so, you know, you need to be proactive in making sure that you are staying up with things and educating yourself. Because, you know, again, another one of my favorite old sayings is about working smarter, not harder. And that's absolutely, you know, reaching out and taking advantage of those kind of opportunities is all part of that concept of working smarter. Completely. Something that I had noticed happened time and time again when I was working with solo providers managing their administrative side of things and their billing and whatnot, was that newer providers felt this knee-jerk reaction to fill their schedule as full as they could possibly get it because the more clients, the more money, the more money, the more growth, so on and so forth. And I remember them being really benefited by being reminded to bake time into their schedule specifically for learning and specifically for administration, because even though it doesn't seem like a billable hour, and so it might not feel like the most lucrative thing to do with your time, in the end, you end up saving so much lost revenue if you take a billing class. And you end up saving so much time down the road if you spend an hour every week thinking about your administrative processes and bettering them or talking with your peers. And so in the end, software for practice management and time investment in practice management end up being things that pay for themselves really quickly. A practice doesn't run itself. And if you ignore those things, you know, as an example, the other thing is, too, you've got to make sure that you set your schedules up reasonably and are not attempting to overbook because that's something that will begin at some point in time to lose you patients because patients don't like being kept waiting and and that sort of thing. So you have to set your schedules up reasonably and you do need to bake time in for those other sorts of things. You know, if you're maximizing the billable hours, but at the same time, the billing's not being done efficiently and you're not collecting on everything, in the long run, you may come out making less money than if you had just put some time aside to make sure that you were collecting everything you were due. So, you know, it's a balancing act. Absolutely, of making sure that all the important things. And even though it's healthcare, it is still a business. And if you don't pay attention to the business side of things, the train will run off the tracks at some point. You know, and it might be a big train wreck, it might be a series of small ones, but it's going to happen if you're not paying attention to it. And again, I think that this is where sometimes outsourcing can really save the day, especially for maybe providers or administrators who are listening to this and thinking, okay, my train has already gone a little bit off the rails, to be honest. How do I save my practice at this point? And the answer, in my opinion, is to turn to the tools that exist like full service RCM billing management that you can turn to, to take care of your billing, to take over what you already have. Maybe it's a bit of a mess. They can straighten it out and make up for that lost revenue and get you back on track. I have a lot of history there. I actually started a billing service at the big primary care group. And then the uh, vendor that I worked for, I built their very large outsourced RCM program uh, stopped before TBH. Here at Procentive, about 35% of our clients actually have us do their billing for them, you know, where they've outsourced their revenue cycle, you know, especially for smaller groups, but really for any size. It's funny, some of the largest groups tend to be just as inefficient at doing a good job on billing collections as the very small ones. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, when you have a team of well-trained folks that really know how to use the practice management and EHR to its fullest, and that have all of the automation and the tools and all, 
they can often get results that are much better. Plus, you're not trying to supervise and train and hire and retain billing staff. You know, there's a lot of things. And oftentimes in a very small practice, you know, you don't have enough volume to have dedicated billing person. So, you know, if you've got an office manager that's trying to juggle everything, running the, you know, the office, doing the scheduling, doing the billing, I can tell you what winds up happening is because the billing is not something that's immediate. So billing winds up getting put off. And so yep. there's delays in your charges going out. And if there's delays in your charges going out, guess what? There's going to be delays in your payment coming back in. And before you know it, all of a sudden you have cash flow issues because yep. your bills aren't getting out on a timely basis. I always set it as a kind of a very hard and fast rule in all the years I was running groups that charges had to go out or claims had to go out within 48 hours of the data service. So within two days, you know, you wanted to be sending a claim off to the payer to make sure that that, that claim was going in and you were getting paid promptly. You know, if you're taking a lot longer than that to get your charges out, you may seriously want to consider outsourcing your revenue cycle to get you out of that rut and to make sure your money's going to come in quicker. think are the least efficient aspects of practice management generally, and how would you recommend improving them? It's hard to say. It really can vary a lot depending on the specialty because, you know, running some medical specialties versus primary care versus behavioral health or physical therapy, you know, the nuances and idiosyncrasies in the different areas vary a lot. So it's hard to give general advice about that. But um, people management absolutely can be one of the real things that can either make you very successful or ruin you. You've got to make sure that you do a good job of hiring, that you're supervising folks. You can't just blindly trust people. You need to have good checks and balances like for you know cash control, that sort of thing in to make sure that there can't be any kind of theft or fraud going on. Um, so a lot of things there that can kind of derail you, but um, having some good processes and hiring the best people you can and paying them appropriately can make a huge difference. Because if you have a lot of turnover, that just is super draining on a practice. So, you know, find good people, pay for them to be well-trained, pay them well enough and treat them well enough that they'll want to stick around. And in the long run, that will pay many dividends. Yep, agreed. And I generally tell smaller practice providers that even though it seems like the point of having something like a practice manager or a biller is to not have to worry about those things at all and just kind of have someone else taking care of that and then you wash your hands of it. Ultimately, especially if you're a solo provider practice working with just one administrator or biller, you ultimately are the source of truth for your practice. And you might have turnover in who's doing your administration, but you're always going to be there. So in the end, you really want to know, at least to some degree, how to follow the processes that you put into place, how to do the minutia of what you're training your staff to do. Because otherwise, when you have turnover, it's a lot harder to pass that knowledge along. So I always recommend that. Absolutely. And also the bottom line is it's your practice and it's your money. 
Yep. And so I was saying before, you don't want to have blind faith in anyone. You should still be checking reports and looking at how things are going because unfortunately, there's probably plenty of small practices out there that have wound up in bankruptcy just because somebody took their eye off the road because yeah. they weren't looking at that and paying attention to it. In the same way, even in a, you know, a two-provider partnership, just because your partner has more interest and savvy in the business end of it, that doesn't mean if you're the other partner that you should be ignoring it because there are plenty of exam- horror stories out there of one partner you know, really financially ruining another one simply because they could. Because right. they weren't paying attention. Just like you check your pay, if you're working for somebody and you're getting a paycheck and you check your paycheck to make sure everything looks right, mm-hmm. you need to be doing the same thing as the owner or partner in a practice. You need to keep, you know, at least some amount of attention on those things to make sure that nothing gets out of hand. Yep. And I think especially for psychologists and psychiatrists or anybody who has gone into the medical profession with the hope of helping people and you're really client-oriented and you're thinking, it can be hard to grasp and fully accept the concept of your practice as a business that at the end of the day has a bottom line that you need to nurture. But that is the truth. It is a business. Healthcare is unique. It's a very different business. There is no other business in this country where it's so hard to get paid for what you do because of the complications of of health insurance in in this country. But it is a business. And if you don't take care of uh, the health of the business side of your practice, you're no longer going to be in existence to be able to help people. You know, it's not a luxury. It's a necessity to look after the financial health of the practice. Before we end this interview, I wonder if you have any final words of advice or things that you would hope that people listening to this podcast would walk away remembering. It can be scary out there with the increasing amount of compliance things that there are out there and, you know, all of the roadblocks to get thrown up by insurers, everything else, you know, it can be a little scary and daunting at times, but just remember you're not alone. There are plenty of people out there that have been going through it. So there are lots of good resources and, you know, you need to, as you learn and go through your journey, don't be afraid to reach out and ask people and utilize the resources that are out there available that can help you. That is great advice. Well, Ed, thank you so much for talking with us today. I know that Therapy Brands really benefits from your experience in the world of practice management and so will our listeners today. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening today. I wish you all the best in your practice management. My name is Sage, and you've been listening to Perfecting the Practice, the podcast for behavioral health providers and administrators on how practice management makes perfect. If you're enjoying this season of Perfecting the Practice, please consider subscribing and maybe even leaving a review. It helps other listeners like you find us. Bye for now. Bye for now.